0: KVMR, FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m., and it's time once again for the KVMR Evening News. I'm Claudio Mendonça. The California report takes us to Los Angeles, where the LAPD says the use of DIY guns with no identification has soared. In Riverside, descendants of some of SoCal's earliest non-native settlers are trying to save their ancestors' crumbling adobe home. And it seems everyone is dropping mixtapes these days. This week, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory shared sounds recorded on Mars by its Perseverance rover. After a look at regional headlines and weather, science correspondent Al Stoller explains how weather patterns in the tropical Pacific impact California's winters. We close tonight with a commentary by Norris Burks.
1: This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The Los Angeles Police Department is calling the proliferation of homemade ghost guns an epidemic. The city has seen at least 100 violent crimes tied to ghost guns this year and a 400% increase in the number of these firearms in the city since 2017. The guns can typically be built using kits at home and are virtually untraceable. LAPD Chief Michael Moore says detectives believe one ghost gun was used last week when a 14-year-old allegedly shot an officer in South L.A. The presence of firearms in the hands of our people this is, I believe, one of our most significant challenges of trying to counter. Police say the increase in ghost guns has coincided with an increase in violent crimes in the city. In August, the Los Angeles City Council took a major step toward banning the possession, purchase, and transportation of ghost guns, ordering the city attorney's office to draft an ordinance on the weapons. Meanwhile, the San Diego County Board of Supervisors voted yesterday to develop its own ordinance that would ban ghost guns and prohibit the sale and distribution of the parts used to make them. The descendants of some of Southern California's early pioneers are trying to save their ancestors' crumbling home. KVCR's Megan Jamerson has this report from Southern California's Inland Empire, where a farming town was founded when California was still part of Mexico.
2: On an industrial street in the city of Riverside, delivery trucks rumble past a small wooden building the Trujillo adobe built over 150 years ago in 1862. But that's not how Nancy Melendez first knew it. It was just grandma's house. Melendez is a descendant of the man that built the adobe, Lorenzo Trujillo. As we enter the wooden structure that protects it, she shares the home stayed in her family until 1957, when her great-grandmother decided it was time to live somewhere with indoor plumbing. I would come and spend the night with grandma, and, and it was a beautiful place. Um, and it seems so huge to me, you know, and I used to sit in that window, in the windowsill, and read my books. She's pointing to what's left of her great-grandmother's home, which is only three adobe walls held up by supports. The county of Riverside bought the property in 1977 with the intention of creating a local historic park. But then there were budget cuts and bad weather. The roof collapsed, followed by the fourth mud brick wall. It was the Murphy's Law. If anything could go wrong... It did. Melendez and her cousins are behind a grassroots effort started around a decade ago to save the adobe and revive park plants. They also created the Spanish Town Heritage Foundation to raise awareness of this part of California's history. It's the history of Riverside. And when I like to call it Riverside's prehistory. Um, but there was this community that was here. And these people, our people, that are still here. The story starts in the 1800s when Trujillo was born in New Mexico, a Genesaro a Native American raised in a Spanish household, most likely not by choice. As an adult, he led 10 local families over 1,200 miles to accept a promise of owning the land Melendez is standing on now. Quickly, the area became the largest non-Native Hispanic settlement between Santa Fe, New Mexico and Los Angeles, along an old Spanish trade route. And the adobe is all that remains. And so we said, well, how can we... Get this story out because no one knows. This work has the support of Riverside County's Parks Department, which is renewing its commitment to raising awareness to the many ways minority communities have shaped the region, says County Historic Preservation Officer Tony Perucci. He says the adobe recognizes early settler history, but also...
1: It can tell the story of that north side neighborhood, which was largely Hispanic, you know, actually throughout the 20th century. Um... And we don't have historic resources that are able to tell that narrative.
2: The biggest challenge has been finding the millions of dollars it will take. During Perucci's three years in the role, he's worked closely with Nancy Melendez and the Spanish Town Heritage Foundation as they seek out private donations and make the case for state and federal funding. The adobe is now written into the county's development plans, and this year it was named one of America's 11 most endangered historic places, says Perucci.
1: This
3: is very much you know, the adobe's time to shine.
2: For Melendez and her cousins, they will continue the work of sharing the story to anyone willing to listen, including local third graders. They do school presentations on the adobe where they share the names of the settlement's first families, like the Peñas, Trujillos, Bacas, and Espinozas, says Melendez. Little eyes light up, little hands shoot up and say, that's my name! That's my cousin's name. That's my aunt's name. The local park would ensure generations can engage with this history and learn their place in it, says Melendez. And it is empowering because we have been made to feel that um, we don't belong. And we do. And that's important. It's, It's just we need to knock down barriers that prevent us from communicating with one another and understanding one another. Because knowing our history, or where we come from, says Melendez, is the only way to know where we are headed. For The California
0: Report, I'm Megan Jamerson in Riverside. Support for The California Report comes from Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. PersonalCapital.com. SF MOMA presenting the world premiere of Joan Mitchell, a stunning retrospective of over 80 works by the trailblazing painter who made art on her own terms. Learn more at sfmoma.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement.
1: And finally this morning, we've grown accustomed to seeing pretty amazing images of the surface of Mars sent back by NASA's landers and rovers. But what about the sounds of the red planet? Well, this week, NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory near Pasadena posted a series of sound files on the web recorded by two microphones aboard its Perseverance rover. Here's the sound of Martian wind hitting the microphone. And here's the sound of the rover's metallic wheels rolling over the Martian surface the sounds of driving on another world. You can listen to more by going to JPL's website. The Perseverance rover is exploring Mars' Jezero crater. One of its missions is to look for signs of early microbial life on the planet. And back here on Earth, that's the California Report for Wednesday, October 20th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day.
0: In a media Q&A today, Nevada County Public Health Director Jill Blake explained that due to transmission problems between two state data systems, the active number of cases in our county is inaccurate. KVMR will resume reporting cases as soon as the issue is corrected. UC Davis researchers released the findings of a study today that looked at the locations of public school closures in 260 metropolitan areas of the United States between 2010 and 2016 and found a variety of conditions exist in areas where schools close, presenting a complex picture of how school closures may or may not affect communities. Noli Brazil, a UC Davis assistant professor of human ecology and lead author of the study, said that they found support for some public claims and prior research, that neighborhoods with greater percentages of black students and higher socioeconomic disadvantages are more likely to experience a closure. However, the findings found that neighborhoods with A greater percentage of Hispanic residents now experience a lower likelihood of closure, and urban neighborhoods experiencing gentrification experience a higher likelihood of closure. In other words, there are racial differences in what predicts public school closures. And with the turn of the season comes the change in focus from wildfires to prescribed fires on the Tahoe National Forest. In the coming weeks, the forest's fire managers plan to implement prescribed fire operations as conditions and resources permit. The goals of these prescribed fire projects are to reduce the severity of future wildfires, restore forest health and diversity, and provide added protection for communities in the WUI, the Wildland Urban Interface. Quote, prescribed fire is a critical part of our efforts to protect communities and restore health to the forest, says Eli Yano, Tahoe National Forest Supervisor. We will work hard to minimize any smoke impacts to communities and appreciate the support we've received for this important work. End quote. All prescribed fire projects are conducted in accordance with a specific, approved prescribed fire plan. These plans describe the specific conditions under which the prescribed burns will be conducted, including the weather, the number of personnel, and ways to minimize smoke impacts. That from a Tahoe National Forest news release. And for those who celebrate the spooky... On Tuesday, October 26th, the Nevada County Community Library will host a Halloween Art and Poetry Walk at Pine Grove Historical Cemetery from 4 to 5.30 p.m., along with Nevada County Poet Laureate Kristen Casey. To honor the season and this historic town we live in, the library invites the community to gather outside at the Pine Grove Historical Cemetery for some community graveyard poetry and sketching. Participants should bring a blanket to sit on and something firm to write or draw on. Supplies will be provided, and participants are welcome to bring their favorite pen or drawing pencils. Casey will join the library staff in leading the group to respectfully explore this treasured parcel of souls, learning about the history of Pine Grove, headstone symbolism, and some other creative surprises. The program is for adults and teens and may not be appropriate for younger community members. Turning now to regional weather, in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight showers likely, mainly after 11 p.m., then cloudy with a low around 48 degrees. Chance of precipitation is 60%. Tomorrow, showers likely and cloudy with a high near 62. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight a 40% chance of rain, cloudy with a low around 36. Tomorrow, a 50% chance of rain, then mostly cloudy with a high near 56. And finally, for our friends in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight a 50% chance of showers, then mostly cloudy with a low around 57. Tomorrow, showers likely, mainly before 11 a.m., then mostly cloudy with a high near 71. You've heard about El Nino and La Nina. These tropical weather patterns dramatically influence our weather here in California. And despite being around last winter, La Nina is back. Next up, Al Stoller talks weather with oceanographer William Patzert.
4: The warmest ocean water on Earth is in the far western Pacific, over by Australia, Indonesia. That super warm water, thousands of miles away on the far side of the Pacific is a big part of what sets up California's climate of dry summers, wet winters. Look out over a sun-baked parking lot, and the air shimmers as plumes of warm air rise up off the hot pavement. Warm air rises. Like a ginormous parking lot, Earth's tropics bake in the hot sun. Warm air rises big time over the tropics. Warm air rises especially over the super warm water. On the far side of the Pacific. Warm air rises, but what goes up must come down. Come down more in some places than others. Air piles up in places, and those piles of air act like rocks in a stream. Piles of air force winds, force storms to go around them. A huge pile of air out in the Pacific blocks storms from reaching California in summer. Air piles up differently in winter allowing storms to reach California in a good winter. Over the tropical Pacific, close to the equator, the trade winds blow from South America towards Asia, pushing warm water across the Pacific to pile up on the far side, which is why that part of the Pacific has the warmest ocean water on Earth. It's also why so much warm air rises and then comes down to form mountains of air that keep summer storms out of California. The surface water that's blown across the Pacific is replaced by cold water. The surface of the Central Pacific, usually, is cold. Every few years, though, the trade winds slow down, or stop, or even shift into reverse. Water does not stay piled up by itself. If the trade winds stop blowing, the pile of warm water on the far side of the Pacific sloshes back, back toward the middle of the Pacific, the Central Pacific, Warms up, and that changes where warm air rises and where the air sinks, which changes where the storms can reach California. This rearrangement, bringing warm water into the Central Pacific, is El Nino. El Nino translates as the little boy. El Nino has a sister, La Nina. Have you ever been in a situation, maybe applying for a job, where you want to convince people that you? are normal. You work hard to act super normal. It's really hard to act super normal without coming off as really strange. El Niño is a total reorganization of the tropical Pacific, but La Niña is the tropical Pacific trying to act normal. The trade winds blow really hard. Water on the far side of the Pacific grows even warmer than usual. Water in the central Pacific and La Nina grows even cooler. Exaggerating the normal, La Nina overdoes it. The pattern of rising and falling air all too often steers wintertime storms away from California. The Pacific was in La Nina mode last winter, and last winter was a droughty one. Then, last spring, La Nina faded away. The Climate Prediction Center never takes its eyes off the Pacific. For some months now, the CPC has been seeing the Central Pacific again growing cooler. This past Thursday, the CPC issued its latest climate forecast. La Nina is back. So, does this mean drought is inevitable? I spoke with oceanographer Bill Patzert, recently retired from JPL, NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab in Pasadena. Back in 2017, it was a La Nina year, and yet we got so much rain, the Oroville Dam overtopped. Hundreds of thousands of people had to be evacuated from the floodplain of the Feather River.
1: La Nina often means for Southern California, we get below average rainfall, but often during a La Nina, Northern California can get a pretty good drenching.
4: We are right on that boundary between the Pacific Northwest and Southern California.
1: Exactly. La Niña is not necessarily bad news for Northern California. It was last winter, but not every winter.
4: One last thing. Recall that it's the behavior of the trade winds, revving up, slowing down, shifting into reverse. It's the trade winds that determine where the tropical Pacific gets warm or cold. Same trick backwards. Even as the trade winds determine where the Pacific gets warm or cold, the pattern of warm and cold seawater drives the trade winds, chicken or egg. For KVMR, I'm Al Stoller.
3: We close now with a commentary by Norris Burks. Hi, this is Chaplain Norris Burks with another edition of Spirituality in Everyday Life. I've officiated dozens of weddings in my 30 years as a minister, but few were as fraught with risk as the one I performed some years ago in the acute care unit of the Sacramento VA Medical Center. It all began when a nurse sent me to a room reserved for our more seriously ill patient. Inside, I introduced myself to a man in his fifties, small in statue and well-worn in the face. Sitting beside him, a woman held his hand under the bed cover. Your nurse tells me that you two want to get married, I said. The couple locked their starry eyes on each other and nodded in affirmation. When, I asked. Now, they said in unison. I don't know if that's... Don't worry, chaplain, the woman said. I've researched it online. I know it can be done. Well, I'm not sure, chaplain, the groom interrupted. I'm dying. I paused to carefully consider the risk. Before I could agree to this, I'd have to run it past the risk management department in the hospital. They would want answers before I'd be allowed to officiate this ceremony on hospital grounds. I would be asked, are they really in love? How long have they known each other? How long have you known them? The concern would be over whether or not this woman was just after the patient's pension. Even if the woman's intentions were sincere, risk management would probably want proof that the patient's pain medication wasn't affecting his decision making capability. Why now? I asked the couple. It was a thinly disguised version of Why have you put this off so long? We'd planned it several times, he said, during the past two years, but The lung cancer delayed all attempts. they had even managed to get a wedding license once before, but saw it expire when medical appointments and family drama interrupted. We're tired of delays, the woman said. Today just seems like the right time. The woman outlined a step-by-step process of the requirements. First, we'd need a doctor's notarized signature. Then she and I had to go to the county clerk's office for the license. After that, we'd return for the hospital ceremony then circle back to the clerk's office to finalize it all. After I agreed, the paperwork was easy enough to accomplish on our end. The doctor signed off, so the risk management department had no objections. However, the woman lacked transportation to the county office. I'll take you, I said, even though I knew risk management folks would have a coronary if they knew I was transporting a family member in my personal car. I did it anyway. By late afternoon, I finally stood before the couple as their officiant. The bedridden groom wore a rose on his chest. The bride managed to freshen her look with a little makeup and a discounted bouquet from the hospital gift shop. A dozen hospital staff members stood by as witnesses. A few minutes into the ceremony, I asked the couple to repeat after me their promise to stay together in sickness and in health till death do us part. Without hesitation, they echoed the traditional vows, There wasn't a dry eye in the room. Promising one's love is always risky, and this couple knew that truth better than most. They knew what sickness and health meant, and within a few months, she would experience what it meant to be parted by death. At the end of the day, they had appeared before God and this company to declare their eternal love, He with literally His dying breath. And for me, as it turned out, I avoided the biggest risk of all, the risk that comes with not doing the right thing.
0: The views expressed on this show are those of the speakers only and are not necessarily those of KVMR, our board, staff, volunteers, or contributors. That's our newscast for tonight, Wednesday, October 20th, 2021. You can listen to it and any of our previous newscasts on our website, kvmr.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. KVMR gets support from listeners like you and from the Center for the Arts, presenting Family Fun Day, Saturday, October 30th, 10 to 2 p.m. This is an outdoor family-friendly event with face painting, magicians, costume contests, and more thecenterforthearts.org for for details. And Ben Franklin Crafts, featuring Halloween decorations to transform the inside and outside of a home into a haunted manor. Also masks, hats, and other costume-creating supplies for Halloween. Ben Franklin Crafts is on Sutton Way in Grass Valley. Stick around for The Sages Among Us, coming up next... Tonight, Keith Porter will be talking to retired optometrist and founding president and artistic director of the Community Asian Theater of the Sierra, Lisa Moon. And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! This is Claudio Mendoza wishing you a warm and safe evening. We'll see you tomorrow.